be open to what your spirit would teach us through the power of the truth of the Bible. We pray that uh, regardless if we are your child or not, if we've served you many years or just got started on this way of faith, that our hearts would be greatly encouraged as we read today about the gospel and how it's all connected. The cross, the, the, the empty grave, the, the resurrection, it's all connected, Lord, to a wonderful plan of salvation. May our hearts be open to receive that ultimately. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. What I'd like to do is, have you ever heard of the gospel braid? I was up to the coffee store the other day and Christy was making this braided thing. And I think she had four or five. It was a really intricate braid and she had made this braided bread thing and it looked really, really good. And um, I was thinking about the gospel braid. Do you know that the gospel is more than just one There's just more than one strand in the gospel. It's not just Christ died on a cross. But there's a gospel braid. And here, we're going to start with this. And then our main passage this morning will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But for right now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would please, look at verse 3. Let's see if we can find the elements of this gospel braid, shall we? The gospel braid. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 3, Paul speaking here, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Let's just stop right there. Think about the word braid. Spell it for me. B, okay, R, A, I, D. The gospel braid. The gospel braid. There are more than one strand to the gospel, all right? What's the first thing that's mentioned in this passage? Verse 3, it says what? Christ died. Why did he die? For our sins. We're going to put the D down here. It goes first, but it works in the gospel braid, the letter D. He died for what? Our sins. Ours. That include mine? Yes. Does that include yours? Yes. Yes. He died for our sins. And it's very important to note, he died for our sins according to the scripture. Right? The, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was no accident. God planned, before He ever created the world, to just destroy His Son for our sakes. Christ died for our sins. You know, in John 3.16, the Bible uses the word gave. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What would you think if that passage read this? For God so loved the world that He had to crush His little boy in order for you to go to heaven. God had to crush his little boy. Is there anyone here who has lost a child? A couple of you have nodded heads. That's a sad thing. We, we, we never lost a baby that we had met. We had a miscarriage once, but never to lose a child that we've you know, given birth to. But God had to crush. How many of you are parents? Can you imagine the pain you would suffer if you had to put your own child to death? God so loved the world that Christ died for our sins according to the foreknowledge and the plan, the amazing plan of God, because He loved us so much. Okay? Let's read what's next. 
it says Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture what's the second element yeah we're going to put that up here so the B in our gospel braid is for buried he was buried in a tomb he was there three days buried and that's an important element in the gospel braid because when we come to Christ we must die to sin as he died for our sins, we have to be buried. How does a believer get buried? How is that symbolically portrayed? In baptism. Symbolically buried to rise again to new life. What is the R for? Raised. raised. He was raised according to the scripture. Again, God had said in the Bible, I will put my son to death, but I won't leave him there. I will raise him from the dead. Jesus told his disciples numerous times that they will... Crucify me, I will die and be buried, and the third day I will rise again. Okay? What do you think the A stands for? Look at this in the end, is in the next part. What did he do? And it says there in verse 5. He appeared. He made numerous appearances. Why is it why was it important for living his living disciples who would be his messengers to see him in the flesh? Hey, I'll tell you what. Would you die for a dead Messiah? They saw a risen Savior and they were all willing to give their lives in martyrdom in most cases for the sake of the fact that they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt they had seen a risen Christ. They had seen a risen Christ. His appearances. I also remember in the Gospel break, remember this. There's something else that happened that you can read about took place later on. What happens before Jesus goes to heaven? What's that called when he goes up? Ascension. Yes, his ascension. Jesus didn't stay on the earth. He told... His disciples, he said, I will go back to my father and I will send the Holy Spirit to be in all of you. How is that important? Well, I'll tell you what, folks, we wouldn't have the power of Jesus in our hearts if he hadn't gone back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus walked on the earth, he was one man in one place. If he happened to be down here in Judea, he was in Judea. If he went up to Galilee, he was in Galilee. Wherever he was, a few people could be close to him, but he couldn't be with everybody all at the same time. And he said, it is absolutely necessary that I go back to my Father so that the Holy Spirit can come and live in you. And then anywhere with Jesus, you can save the good because he can be with all of us at the same time. His ascension. And now what does Jesus live to do? Every day, every day, he's doing this for you. 24-7, he does something for us. It's not included in this verse. Intercede. He intercedes. What does that big fancy word mean? He prays for us. He prays. He intercedes. He's in heaven praying for you all the time. He's up there praying that God would help you, that God would guide you, that God would protect you, that you would open your heart to that guidance, that leading, that protection. This is the gospel break. Beloved, it's all connected, okay? Now, I set that as a bit of a foundation, okay? We're, we're going to focus this morning not on all five of those things, the gospel break. Can you tell me what, what does the B stand for? Oh, you saw it there. What does the R stand for? What does the A stand for? Appearances. What does the I stand for? And the D, first of all, is death for your sins and my sins. Okay? You got that. Now, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be focusing primarily this morning on the power of the cross... Because Good Friday and Easter Sunday are connected. They're all connected in this gospel break. The cross of Christ is what I've titled my message. We're going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to read a few verses from there. And just a couple verses from chapter 2. 
A few verses from Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 17. And we'll end in uh, the fifth verse of chapter 2. Let's listen while we read together. And what we're paying attention to in this passage is what does the Apostle Paul tell us in this brief scripture about the cross of Christ? All right, listen up. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that it is as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord and I when I came to you brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified and I was with you in weakness And in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Some of us had the privilege this morning of going down to Logan. There was a retired missionary. Maybe some of you met him past Pastor Layton. He had been, he visited here one Sunday. Anyway, he and his wife had served as missionaries on a foreign mission field for many years. I don't know if it was Indonesia or Area Jai, but in one of the islands in the Pacific. And now he's back, I think his wife is deceased, and he's a retired missionary. He shared the gospel with us down there in um, uh, Logan this morning. And he started off by telling us there's a major, major problem with, with mankind. The major problem is kind of like a huge barrier or a blockade or a gap. And what happened in the Garden of Eden, when God put our first parents there and told them, you can eat of any fruit of any tree in this whole garden, but there's one tree I do not want you to eat of. 
You know what happened to our first parents? They disobeyed God's commandment, listened to the lie of the devil that made them think they could become like God. And they took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they fell from God's grace. God had told them. He said, in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. But the devil lied. And he said, no, you won't really die. God knows in the day you eat of that tree, you will become like God. Well, that temptation was too much for our first parents to resist. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they fell from God's grace. Now, did Adam and Eve die that day? Royanne shook her head, yes. Did Adam and Eve die that day? God said, the day you eat of it, you will die. What is the wages of sin? The wages of sin is death. When our first parents ate from that tree, they died because their sin separated them from God. It is, it is possible to be alive in your flesh and blood, in your bones, but to be dead in your spirit. Can I get a witness? Is there anyone in this room who remembers a time when they were dead in trespasses and sin? Yes. Oh, okay. But you were alive in your, your flesh. That's what happened to Adam and Eve that day. They died for sure. There was a gap that could not be crossed. When Lazarus, the rich man, went to uh, hell, he looks across a gap that could not be crossed. And Father Abraham tells him, you're over there and we're over here in paradise. You're suffering in hell and we're up here in heaven. And those of you who would like to come over here can't. And those of us who are here can't go over there. It's a gap. Can't be crossed. This is after souls have been judged. This gap can't be crossed. But when we were with God in perfect fellowship, Adam and Eve and God in the garden, we fell into sin. We ended on this side of the gap. The good news is, God told our first parents that he would cross the gap. God told Eve, he said, I will send the seed of the woman to crush the head of that lion snake. And that snake is going to bite or bruise the heel of the Savior. And so we have this huge problem here. Now, how does the cross of Christ fit into this uh, problem? In the book of Colossians, you don't have to turn there if you don't want. I'll read it if you want to. It's in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. It says this, for in him, this is speaking of Christ, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, this is Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, what does the word reconcile mean? Have you ever had an argument with someone? And you're, maybe it's your brother-in-law. Maybe last Thanksgiving, things didn't go so well. And you talked about the subject. You both know you should have let go. And nevertheless, you're at it again. Wow. You're at odds. Have you ever been at odds with someone? Maybe you've been at odds with a neighbor or a husband or a wife or kid. It, when we get at odds with people, we need to be reconciled. Someone needs to, we need to bring them together. And it says in Colossians that God had planned to reconcile us to himself through Christ. All right, and I already said God knew what it would take to get that job accomplished. Okay? Why was it that Christ would have to shed his blood? The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And while in the Old Testament we use blood from what? Lamb, bulls, and goats, and things like that, the problem with those is they don't cleanse a soul for good, forever. 
And they had to be repeated, right? You sin, another sacrifice. Every year, another atonement. Every year, it had to be ongoing. But those sacrifices could not, once and for all, cleanse a soul from sin. Only Jesus could come and die once for everyone and once for all time. And so God knew that's what would happen. And it says right here that God planned to reconcile to himself all things. How was he going to do that? He was going to make peace by the blood of his cross. God planned to make peace with us through the blood of his cross. Now, that's a very important scripture. Secondly, in Colossians chapter 2, the next chapter, it says this. Hey, it says, you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Listen to this. I've got to highlight it here by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, the cross of Christ. It's interesting, when we read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says that the Jews seek after a sign, right? When, they, when Jesus came, they said, Hey, teacher, what miracle will you do for us so that we know that you're from God? In fact, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 comes to him and says, Teacher, we know you're a teacher sent from God because no one can do these miracles unless they came from God. The Jews were looking for a sign. What did Jesus tell the Jews would be the sign that they got? He said... He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And he was standing in the temple when he said that. And they looked around and they said, it's been 46 years building this temple. How are you going to raise this temple in three days? What was Jesus speaking of? What temple would Jesus raise in three days? The temple of his flesh. He would raise it up again. He, he would say in another place, I have the power to give my life. I have the power to raise it. And God would raise him from the dead three days later. And so the Jews... We're waiting for a miracle. Jesus said, the miracle you're going to get, the sign that you're going to see is the sign of Jonah. Jonah was going to die in the whale for three days and three nights. And he says, just like that, since the Son of Man will be in the grave for three days and three nights, and then he will rise again. That was all the sign they were going to give him. But who has ever raised themselves from the dead? Did Jesus raise some people from the dead? Yeah. God intervened to raise Jesus through Jesus to raise seven people from the dead. There was a little girl... There was a, a widow's son. There was his friend Lazarus, but no one ever raised himself. Jesus had that stone rolled away. Lazarus came. He said, "Lazarus, come out!" And old Lazarus came out that day. And I heard a preacher say once, "It's a good thing he said Lazarus, because <laughs> if he just said come out, everybody would have come out." He said, "Lazarus, come out!" <laughs> Jesus raised other people from the dead, but no one has ever raised themselves from the dead. No one has that power to raise anyone from the dead except they be God. In fact, the Bible tells us when he raised Lazarus from the dead, many of the Jews who happened to be there that day mourning with Martha and Mary saw that sign and believed. What were the Greeks seeking after? Greeks were seeking after wisdom. It it should all make sense. How do we get back to God? It should make sense. Maybe we build a bridge or something to get back to God. But does it make sense for a father to kill his only begotten son to save a bunch of sinners? Does that make sense? No, that doesn't make sense. Beloved, in that same vein, I would ask you this question. Does in that fact the love of God make sense? I mean, if you if you have children and, and you're not willing to give one of your children to let a bunch of inmates up at the correctional center in Boise go free, 
But God is willing to crush his only son so that you and I could become his children. Does that make sense? Not to this, not to the logical mind. But God wasn't dealing in logic. It says the Greeks were seeking after wisdom. Excuse me, wisdom. The Jews were looking after a sign. But Christ, the Lord, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved. This is the power of God. This is how it happens. You see, when we think about the cross of Christ, this gap that was between us and God, God planned... God planned to span that gap at Calvary. We sing an old hymn, Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. When God came from heaven all the way down to sinful man, He reached down at Calvary through the blood of His Son to make a way. There is now a way to God by coming through the way of the cross. And another old hymn says, I must needs go home by the way of the cross, for there's no other way but this. I shall never get sight of the gates of life if the way of the cross I miss. Jesus didn't say, I am one of the ways. Take your pick, it's multiple choice. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father unless you come by me. In another place he would say, I am the door of the sheepfold. If you want to come into my sheepfold, where my sheep are, you come through the door. He said, there have been people who have been trying to get in other ways, but they're thieves and robbers. You've got to come through Christ. You've got to come through Christ alone. Now, we all know, was Jesus the only one crucified that day? No. How many other people were crucified that day? Two. I think this is very significant. There were two others crucified with Jesus that day, the Bible tells us. All right. Jesus would say in his gospel message, he would say, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Now, when you think about what he was saying, the Bible says after he said that, a lot of people said, you know what? Uh, That's about as far as I'm going with Jesus. Because in this day, uh, back nowadays, if they put a criminal to death, they, they use a lethal injection, right? Basically, they just put him to sleep on an overdose, right? I remember when I was a kid, they would use electric chairs. And maybe when my great-granddad was a kid, they used a noose, right? But in Jesus' day, this was the method of execution. So, to think about in my day, Jesus would say, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his electric chair and follow me. I'm just saying a lot of us would go, electric chair, what's that? Uh, I want to follow Jesus, but what about this? Beloved, an electric chair would be easy compared to a cross. An electric chair would make the cross seem like a cakewalk. The lethal injection doesn't even count compared to a cross. you know that the Romans wouldn't even crucify Romans on a cross? No Roman citizen could be crucified on a cross. It was considered too barbaric, too heinous, to even put one of their own citizens. It was saved for foreigners or really bad criminals. No Roman citizen would be executed on a cross. And it's interesting, even in the Old Testament, God said, As the Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus himself said that. That he could give life to everyone who would look at him. Look at him! That's all we would have to do to be saved. Now, back to these two fellows. 
these guys were obviously criminals, right? And they, they uh, had done some bad things, thieves, liars, murderers, whatever, and they, they had been condemned to death on a cross. So this Good Friday, they took the three of them out to Calvary, Jesus in the, in the middle. And you know what the Bible tells us? What were these guys' attitudes when they first got crucified? They both kind of were like, hey, because the scribes and Pharisees are down there, Jesus speaking, hey, he's, uh, he delivered others, why doesn't he deliver himself? Hey, he called on God, let God deliver him, right? And these guys, the Bible says, both of these guys kind of chimed in with that. That little bit of railing on Jesus. Hey, Jesus, why don't you get down and take us with you, right? But something happened to one of these thieves as the day went on. The Roman centurion would say, when Jesus died, truly this was the Son of God. There was something about Jesus. Do you know what the Bible says he, he did with his mouth when they put those um, spikes through his hand? He said, as a lamb is dumb before its shears, he opened not his mouth. Can you imagine being tortured so horribly, whipped so badly, crown of thorns on your head, beat with a stick, and not cry out in pain? He did not cry out in pain. That in itself would have been an amazing feat to watch. You're suffering. You know what kind of pain this is. And the guy in the middle doesn't say anything. And you hear him say things like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He says, he looks down on his mother and he says things like, uh, Mary, look at John. That's going to be your new son, John. Look at your new mom. Take care of my mom. Do you know what I'm saying? He says things like, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? But there's something else he says here. I don't know what time of the day this one thief looks over to Jesus. Do you remember what he says? He says something very important. He says this. And I think it's so important when we think about our response to Jesus on the cross. He says, and this is to use all capital letters. When you see all four capital letters in the Old Testament, it meant Lord God. It meant Lord God, the big name of God, his important title name. The thief on this cross says this. He says, Lord, what has he done? In that moment, he has recognized this man from Nazareth on the cross who had done nothing wrong, who suffers amazingly, and asked God to forgive those who are torturing him. He says to him, he says, Lord, why is that critical? If we are to go back to God, if the cross is going to serve for us to be a bridge across the barrier of our sin, we have got to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, Lord, you are God. And he says, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? You know, I don't think Jesus said anything about this kingdom on this cross. But this man understood who he was talking to. And he says, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And what does Jesus say? One of the other things Jesus says on the cross is he looks at this man and he says, what? Today, you'll be with me. Hang in there. Hang in there, you're going to be with me today in paradise. And that lasts forever. Folks, that's all it took. Is that amazing? Some of you said, that's not very fair. He never helped anybody. He was a crook. He was wretched. What right does he have to go to heaven and be in paradise? Beloved, ask yourself a question. What right do I? What right do you have to? What right do we have to be partaker in the blood of the Son of God? 
amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? That's amazing. That's why they call it amazing love. That's why they call it amazing grace. And when we think about this cross of Christ, not only does this cross reconcile us unto God, listen to this verse, the cross of Christ, which Paul said, that's the only thing I'm going to preach. I know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And in Galatians it says this, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, Paul says, um, far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, the world has been crucified to me. I don't want the things of this world because by the cross of Christ, you can have it all. I think it's interesting that that cross divides the believer from the non-believer. This guy dies yelling, cursing, screaming, angry. Right? He dies. Do you, do you remember how these two guys had to die? Jesus finally gave up the ghost. It says he just released. He died and he gave up the ghost. They came along with that big spear and they would pierce his side. They saw that he was dead pierced his side, out would come the water and the blood. What happened to these guys? The Jews said, we don't want their bodies hanging up over the holy day. That's kind of gross. So the Roman soldiers came with them like a big axe or sledgehammer and they would break their legs. Well, the only way you can stay alive on the cross is to pull yourself up for a breath and then put down. You know, you have to push up for breath because in this position, your lungs aren't able to breathe. So they would come and break their legs. Now what? I can't push up to suck my air. And I'm going to die. My own fluids in my body. These guys died a very, very painful death. But this guy had a promise. He had a promise. And yet what's interesting is when a soul believes in Jesus, that separates them from the world and to the world. Listen, you don't have to go the world's way. Not only does Jesus uh, cross the barrier of sin, He gives us the power of sin. And remember, the, what, is, what does the R stand for? Raised. Remember the gospel raised? The R stands for raised. And in the book of Romans it tells us, it says Christ was, even as Christ was raised from the dead, I'll read this real briefly here, it says, Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized unto Christ were baptized into His death, we were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. Not only does Jesus' blood on the cross cancel our penalty for sin, it breaks the chain. It breaks the power. You don't have to listen to the devil. He's not your daddy anymore. you got a new father. You're not chained to those habits because Christ breaks the chains of your addiction or your whatever is going on in your life. The sin that you just can't seem to get rid of. He breaks them. And so, when we cry out like the thief does, did, Lord, God, Jesus, and we do that in faith, we believe in the cross of Christ, what He did there, His shed blood making atonement, then we become right with God. The world is crucified to us, and we are crucified to the world. Peter said it this way, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by His wounds, you are healed. By Jesus' wounds, we are healed. How does, how does the power of Christ make a difference in someone's life? I, I read a story about a man um, who became a Christian. But he had been a real 
serious, heavy drunkard before becoming a Christian. And after he became a Christian, his co-workers were giving him some grief, trying to get him to doubt or leave his faith. And they said, you expect us to believe that some guy could walk around and turn water into wine? And this former drunk says, well, whether you believe that Jesus turned water into wine or not, I don't know. But at my house, he's turned beer into furniture. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing, turn water into wine, turn beer into furniture. That's a whole other thing. The man was saying, hey, changing wine is one thing. Changing a drunk is another. Praise God. I was four years old when my daddy, who had been introduced to alcohol by his head, he had four older brothers. Four older brothers, and all of them were coming back from the service while this kid was a little boy. And they were all introducing my dad to women and wine and liquor and alcohol. And by the time my dad was 19, he had a serious alcohol problem. And he got married, had three little kids, three years. It was tough. There was tough times going on in my family. I was only four. Didn't remember all that kind of stuff. But I do remember this. When my daddy got saved, he left the drink behind. And you know what? God saved him. He took off walking another direction. And you know what, folks? I just want you to know that when Jesus takes over a life, we're not only are we crucified to the world, but we're crucified to salvation. Sin's power is broken. And what we've got to do is this. We have got to take our lives and say, Jesus, you need to take up a cross and follow me. When God looks at us, he no longer looks at us. I mean Jesus. And God is pleased to look on the sacrifice of his son and look at my sin debt and say, Pay. Paid in full. The debt is canceled. You're free. Not only are you free, I welcome you into my family. And you get to live in my house forever. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he met Mary at the tomb and he says, I'm going back to my father and your father. Whoa. To my God and your God. And beloved, we're here on an Easter morning just like Mary came to a tomb to see the risen Savior. And the question for us is, have we trusted his payment? Do we believe that he really rose from the grave? Some people say, well, you can't prove it. Well, wait a minute. You can't repeat it. Well, it's not like a science experiment. If I ask you, to, how, how do you know you were born? Get born again. Right? Well, you have to prove it in a different way than like a science experiment. You have to go back to documentation and witnesses. Talk to your mom, talk to your dad, get a birth certificate. Who was there? How do you know I was born? Well, I'm here, but I had to be born. Who was there? How do I know I belong to this family and all these things? You know, beloved, the cross, the resurrection of Christ is a provable fact. What was the A for? Appearances. Not only did he appear to his disciples, but at one point he appeared to over 500 brethren. I don't know what the occasion is. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just said it happened. And later on, he would appear to the Apostle Paul, who wrote these words in Corinthians himself. He saw a risen Savior. Do you know what he said? I am Jesus. By the way, the one that you're persecuting. And folks, it's interesting. When you boil it all down, not interesting. I got this rule pretty good. At the end of the day, the cross is kind of a divider. Right? The cross separates those of us who trust in Christ by His grace and those of us who haven't. And beloved, I want, I want you to know there was a time in my life for 16 and a half years I was here. I was resisting the God who was trying to love me. I was keeping God at arm's length even though He could save my soul. Why would you do that? 
Why would you keep God at arm's length when he's trying to save you? Well, first of all, if you don't understand how serious your sin is, if you don't get the barrier, you might not know you're lost. Okay? I had a son-in-law who had a very serious cancer, but didn't know he had this serious cancer, okay? Until finally it came out, and then it was, it was so late that there was nothing they could do to help him. See what I'm saying? You might have a cancer of sin just like I did. I will confess to you, had I died at the age of 16, and there were plenty of opportunities where I could have died, I would have gone to hell, according to the words of Jesus, and I would burn forever without him. That's a sad thing. But by his grace, there was a day, November 26, 1979, not that anybody remembers it exactly, but November 26, 1979, Jesus said to me, you need my help. These sins are, these sins are going to take you down and I was on, I was on, I was condemned to die, and I, by God's grace, said, Jesus. And I said, Lord, you can save me, you can make me clean, and Jesus said, I will be clean. And that's all it took. A moment of faith, a moment of belief, and we trust in God. Beloved, the cross of Christ, the cross of Christ, it says here, He bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by His wounds. By his wounds, by his wounds, you're either you've been healed or you could be healed. Is that good news? Yes. Today, I have good news. By his wounds, you've either been healed or today would be the day you could be healed. We prayed and prayed that my son-in-law could be healed from that cancer. 25 years old, the Lord said, I'm going to heal him in a different way. He took him to heaven, and now he's completely healed. But today, regardless of where you are, either healed or not healed, it's a good day. If you're unhealed, we've got good news. You came to the right place today. You heard the message of the cross. And what that means, we have a risen Savior. And if you've been healed today, you've got a reason to say, praise the Lord, right? Let's pray. Sweet Jesus, we come to you this morning with thankful hearts. The message of the cross perplexes us. How would a, a loving God crush his own son? Only because you loved us so much that you would do that for us. And all I have to do, believe, that doesn't make sense. What do I have to do? What do I have to do? We can't do anything other than surrender to the call of God to come by grace through faith. It is a gift of God that we might receive what Jesus has done for us. Father, if we've never been healed this morning, this is a great day. We could be healed. All of our sins could be forgiven. And we could have a promise of eternal life because of what Jesus did and what Jesus said. All who put our faith in him. You did not come, Lord, to condemn the world, but that the world through you might be saved. And if we have, by your grace, at some point in our past, said, yes, Lord, by, again, your grace calling us to yourself, we have reason to rejoice today. Father, bless your word in our hearts. And may the people here at Grace Fellowship be the people who praise you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Easter Sunday. I'll say it one time. He is risen. Amen. He is risen indeed. Thank you for coming.